Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. So excited today. We're back in women's basketball and Karen Ashton, the head coach of the University of Texas Longhorns, is our guest. Uh Unbelievable success with UT, uh, just as Ben in her seventh year now returning there after a long stint as an assistant associate head coach. She has come back five straight NCAA tournament appearances, four consecutive Sweet 16s. She has the Longhorns rolling, and I think you're really going to enjoy. She's got some great insights on how to be a successful coach and everything that she has learned in the process. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So after this timeout, we're going to hook them horns with Karen Ashton, University of Texas. I wanted to announce a new partnership between Coaching You and Inner Zone Sports. You know, for a long time, one of the intangibles by coaches and athletes is team chemistry. And it's a major factor all the time in whether a team has success or failure. When it, the folks from Interzone came to me at Coaching You and said, we can even help your team, I was all ears. And what we did is we took a quick assessment, two to four minutes each person, and we were stunned by what we found out about ourselves and our team. You owe it to yourself to find out what Interzone can do for your team. It's the simplest and fastest and most accurate software available to measure team chemistry. I highly recommend, without any reservation, the use of Interzone with your team, whether you are a middle school, high school, college, or professional team, to help take you to the next level. For further information, go to coachingyoulive.com slash Interzone. That's I-N-N-E-R-Z-O-N-E. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. 
Dr. Dish has also introduced SkillBuilder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Hey, welcome back to our podcast. This is the coach, Brendan Sir. So excited to take Karen Ashton, the head coach of the University of Texas, is with us. And Karen, thanks for doing this. Oh, you, you're more than welcome. Uh, this is a this is a privilege and an honor to be on your podcast. Well, you know, I would like to have had the success that you have had, <laughs> you know, in the six years since you came back to UT. But as a head coach, uh, when you came from North Texas after your little stint at Charlotte as the head coach where you, you went out after your previous, all that time you've spent at UT as an assistant, all of a sudden now you went out and you, you became a head coach. You got that unbelievable experience. Now you came back. What was it like to first take over? <laughs> I, I think the best word I can use is humbling. Um, yeah. You know, it was, it was an overwhelming humbling feeling uh just to have been here as an associate head coach and assistant and understand the the magnitude of the program and understand the tradition and just uh you know to be to be able to come back and and really what i felt more than anything was gratitude and and i was humbled but i also felt really responsible. I mean, you know, I understood what the expectations were and I felt a responsibility to try to try to get us back on track. You know, you, you worked with and for Jody Conrad, one of the great coaches ever in the women's game. Uh, I mean, she's a legend, you know, 700 and freaking 80 something wins. I mean, just incredible. What was it like? I know when you said humbling, but what was she like as a coach? You know, she was a lot different than I think what people probably thought she was. She has an incredible sense of humor. <laughs> and I, I think what was so interesting, you know, again, I, I think if I have any advice for any type of young coach that's really anxious to get out and get their feet wet as a head coach, it would be, you know, to slow down and sort of, you know, smell the, smell the daisies uh, and, and really understand when you have somebody with some experience that you're working for to try to take it all in. And, um, you know, she was wise. She is wise. And the things that I learned from her, to be honest with you, I didn't realize in the moment um, when you really realize what you've learned from someone is when you leave them. And when I took the head job at Charlotte, that's when I began to understand, (laughs) you know, really how good of a manager she was. Uh, I think she, you know, it speaks for itself as far as her coaching ability, but I think, what I learned from her more than anything was, you know, how to manage the day-to-day process of running a program. You know, I was able to be here long enough to process what she did, you know, as far as how she handled our kids academically, 
um, you know, the expectations at Texas are a little different than some places in the classroom. So I think it was a good experience for me to have been here and to understand the dynamic of what it's like to be a student athlete here. Staying with Jody for a second, what what was she as a coach, as a, an actual right. basketball coach, what were her real strengths? Well, she was an incredible um, defensive coach. You know, I, mean, I, I think that she really understood and really was ahead of her time as far as, you know, the, the run and jump defense that she's kind of famous for. And then just getting kids to play really, really hard on the defensive end and be controlling, uh, so to say, the tempo of the game and how how the game ebbs and flows just on the defensive end. And, and then I think uh, she was really, in my eyes, as I look back on it, just a master at kind of pushing buttons. You know, and I think I didn't understand that at the moment. I thought, you know, why why is this kid, you know, doing this and, and why is she handling this kid this way? And and as I got older I really understood that was a gift on her part as far as really understanding this is the button I've got to push with this kid, but it's not the same one for this one. You know and uh, yeah. and you know the players really cared about her. They wanted to play for her. That's so huge. Uh you know, and one of the things that I think uh whenever I do clinics or speak to coaches and I tell them one of the keys in coaching that I learned from Chuck Daly was that you have to coach every player differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and coaches, you know, I didn't understand that when yeah, I was Yeah. They say, no, 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 you got to treat them all the same. same. Yeah. You got to treat them all the same. No. Yeah. You can't, you definitely can't. They're not from the same backgrounds. They don't react the same way to, to everything and, and really have to try to figure out along the way. And sometimes it takes two or three years, you know, and you think, you know, them in the recruiting process and then they get here and they might not be exactly who you thought they were. And so then you have to try to figure out what is it that motivates this young person and how can I handle them? And in the framework of what, you know, obviously the team aspect, you know, when you, when you took the job at uh, Charlotte, which is, a, uh, for those that don't know, University of North Carolina, Charlotte, now called just Charlotte, <laughs> uh, sure. but, you know, uh, a terrific place, great city. Uh, but m- most importantly, what were the things that you learned, had to learn as an assistant coach, a successful assistant coach, I felt all along in my 40 years of being one, that man, I know everything. I am ready. <laughs> I could do this stuff, man. You know, and, and then all of a sudden, when I became a head coach, it was like I had been hit with a dumb button. You know, all of a sudden, moving over those eighteen inches. What are the biggest things that you could pass on to other assistants that you learned or you need to know? Ooh. We don't have enough we, time for that. No, that, yeah, we, we, we go, you don't play we, till we tonight. Whole, That's okay. We whole podcast <laughs> on that in particular. But I, I tell you what, I, I think that, that first of all, I would say to a young assistant or one in general is, is almost what you tell players, which is trust the process mm. and go through the process and that's probably what I would tell an assistant coach that benefited me the most of all. And I will say that it wasn't my choice, but well, it was my choice to listen, but it wasn't at the time. I remember being a very young assistant here at Texas and I got an opportunity to interview for a head job Mm -hmm. and I was only two or three years into the job. And I walked into, you know, Jody's office and I, you know, I remember 
saying, you know, I think I want to interview for this job. And she very pointedly said, you know, you're not ready and you need to go back in your office and get to work. And, you know, we'll talk when you are ready. And at the time, I mean, it hurt my feelings, but I do understand what she meant by that. I mean, it was, I was not ready to manage a program. And I think that's what happens to young people a lot and young assistants that think they're ready because maybe they can recruit or, you know, maybe they think they can coach or they do have a philosophy of coaching, which you should. Um, I think what they don't realize is that there's so much more, you know, to the decision making that goes on. You know, it's every day you're managing not only um, players, but you're managing other people. And I think that's what probably caught me the most off guard. It wasn't necessarily the coaching because I had been coaching for a long time. I mean, I'd gone through the high school ranks. Um, You know, I had some experience under my belt. I wasn't the prototype young assistant. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I took a head job, I mean, I was ready. There was no question that I was ready to manage. But what I didn't understand was the management of all the people. And that's a little different than what I think people realize you know it's if you just got your you know your your 12 or your 15 players or how many you have on your team if it was just you and them it it might be a little easier than it is when you put in the dynamic of you have a strength coach you have a trainer you have assistants you have operations Hmm. uh, and all of those people have to be on the same page so i think um probably one of the best decisions you can make is getting advice on hiring a staff I think it's almost as important as, you know, the the coaching, the X's and O's and all of that. I mean, who are you surrounding yourself with? Because that's what makes you successful. I mean, it's not necessarily what you can do. It's what all of the people around you can do. And, you know, I mean, everybody talks about loyalty, and I think that is a huge factor because I think the kids have to feel that everyone is on the same page. But I also think that they have to they have to stretch you. Um, they have to have some understanding of the process too. Um, so I think there's a lot that goes into it that I didn't realize until I took the job at Charlotte. And fortunately I made a great decision in waiting until that job because it was a terrific head job for my first one. Um, you know, they had expectations. Judy Rose is a phenomenal AD. Um, she, she helped me grow. She wasn't afraid to tell me the hard things as a young head coach. And, you know, it was it was a place that really had expectations. So I didn't go somewhere where, you know, they didn't stretch me and want me to grow, too, and, and expect me to do well. You know, I had followed Amanda Butler, who we all know is a, a terrific head coach. I mean, Katie Meyer was there before Amanda. And so there were expectations at Charlotte that I was able to embrace. But. Um, and there was support. And I think that's really, really important when you head into your first head job or, you know, what are you thinking? Are you just taking the first one that is available or are you really looking at the people that you're surrounded with? I think leadership is so important. And you're right. Judy Rose, if I'm not mistaken, was a terrific AD that when she was there, you know, just really, she had a knack for hiring terrific coaches, didn't she? She did. She did. And I, you know, I think she's one of those people that really, she cared about women's basketball. I mean, that was number one. She cared about women's basketball. And I think that it mattered to her who was at the helm of that job. I think that's so important. And we're seeing that now. And 
you know, and I, I watched the different conferences and I watched the SEC and the ACC and women's ball. And, uh, you know, and I, I see the investment, frankly, that these schools are making and the, now the results that come with it because they hire terrific coaches, uh, which I think is the most important part. I think the leadership that a head coach brings is so important. And then they know how to recruit, et cetera. And then their programs come up and they rise with it and, and they become revenue producing sports at many of these schools. And then I think the big 12 is really doing a good job where Texas has always been good. Baylor has been good. And now we're starting to really get great investment in the other programs throughout the league. And I think it's really paying off. And now you have a tough league. Top well, to there's bottom. no question about that. Uh, you know, and I really, I mean, just because I was fortunate enough to have been in the big 12, you know, years ago, it's, I think it's always been good in women's basketball. Right. I mean, I think the thing that has separated it really is the fans. Um, it, it's a fan friendly league and it's a fan appreciated league. Um, you know, you, you talk about, I know that there's been some, you know, changes at Texas tech, but you're talking about a traditional program. That's always had great fans. Oklahoma's always great fans. Uh, obviously Baylor and Texas do. And, I think the other programs are, you know, you're right, they're on, on the rise also. But I think that's one thing that makes our league special is that people follow women's basketball. That is huge, huge. Talk about, uh, if you would, uh, your team this year at Texas. And they're they're doing terrific. You know, you, you people look at records and they say, wow, terrific record and this stuff. Talk about what your expectations were going into the year, how you handle injuries, which are always part of any sport, but how do you go about that? Yeah, it's hard. I think you have to stay steady. Um, you know, it, they're going to follow how you react to injuries and adversity. And I think it's really been important for our entire coaching staff and everybody surrounding our, our young people that we stay steady with what the process is and, if you handle it correctly and you handle it, um, then I, I don't think, I don't think the kids have any problem. And, you know, as I look back on our summer workouts, uh, when we were all existing and there weren't any injuries, it, it was a very exciting time. I mean, you, you saw the young kids come in, we had five freshmen come in that were about as ready. They were about as ready as I've ever had a freshman class as far as physically and skill-wise, mentally, all of that, uh, they were really well prepared. And, you know, that's always an interesting thing for a freshman is that, you know, even though they're, you know, they have high accolades and they're, they think they're ready, uh, they're never really ready. <laughs> and you know, that's, that was very promising uh, for our team that our freshman class came in physically, you know, about as ready as you can be um, until they get in the fires. And then we have this significant injury with Sedona Prince right out, you know, right out of the gates in August at the USA event uh, in Mexico. And so that, you know, initially put a damper on where we were headed with our size. Um, but again, you know, you look, you always, we had some depth in the post and I didn't think that was as, as significant. You know, it was to me more about her, you know, being disappointed and because she was really ready. Uh, she was definitely ready to contribute. And then we get into the first, you know, first couple of games of the year and LaShawn Higgs goes down and, and then Joyner goes down. So you're talking about two returning starters 
that probably had the most experience on your team. So basically we went the entire first semester without, you know, without those guys, but you know, it's, we're in the, we're in the not excuse making business. And I think that what's happened with our team is that we've just kind of had to invent ourselves a few times. And we're finally at a place where I I think everybody is solid with, with their rotation. I think we can start to get what I would call kind of your feet on the ground as to what your role is with joiners starting to get back in the flow. And I think in particular, uh, a player like Charlie Collier, who is very, very gifted. Um, one of those that I would say, you always think you're ready until you get here as a freshman and you get in the fire, especially, especially mm-hmm. in the post. It's a fast game. It's a very physical game and it's different than high school. And so I think it has taken her some time to get used to the speed of the game, but her feet are finally, I think on the ground. And as she starts to contribute, our team will begin to get better and better um, offensively in the paint. So those two are starting to come around back to where they, back to where they, I thought they would be. Um, So the reinvention is, is about to get finalized. So to say um, knock on wood, as long as no one else gets hurt, but I feel good about where we're at. I, I think defensively, we're not where, I'm used to being. Um, this is not the best defensive team I've ever coached, but they're starting to come around. And you know, we're we're we have to find some creative ways to make ourselves better defensively. Yeah, I think that's... I'm actually pleased with where we are. We had a very disappointing loss to Kansas State last week, but I, I've said this many times since then. You know, you can't really disrespect where Kansas State is trying to go, and and you know, the way they performed in the game. So we just needed to reset. And we did that on, on Saturday against TC. Yeah. When you play in a really good league, uh, you're, you're going to have teams that people might consider upsets, but every team in a good league is good. I mean, for the most part. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would be very disrespectful to say we should never have a tough game. You know, I mean, other than <laughs> maybe one or two, I mean, that's a little disrespectful to the rest of the coaches and the team. And they have two all-conference players on their team. And, you know, and so I, I think that that I think they played to their capabilities against us and, and we were not good getting out of the gates. But again, I think they had something to do with that. And a lot of your young players might not realize it per se. But, you know, when you're playing against a team like Texas, that's had five consecutive NCAA tournament appearances, four straight sweet 16 appearances. You have a little bit of a target on your back. You're a big, sure. big game for every opponent. In the conference or not, you know, I watched your game with Tennessee, you know, early in the season on national TV. And I'm saying, this is great women's basketball game. I mean, they, they, you know, they played really, really well. And, you know, but that, I mean, that, that's the way the sport's supposed to be played and stuff like that. And so I think that that's one, that's what, you know, when, you know, uh, you know, I I think that's one of the things that we want, but you have a program that's now going to really, you know, restore, phenomenal prominence and nationally and stuff. How hard, what is the key to keeping it at that level? I'm not sound, trying to sound like, uh, you know, your AD now. I'm not trying to do that because <laughs> I know he, he is just spectacular guy. He is. I tell you what, I, I, um, I have been overwhelmed by how he has energized our athletic program. Yes. Uh, Chris Del Conte is the real deal. And, you know, anything that he does expect of me is not any more than I expect of myself or that we expect of our program. Uh, we understand where we need to be. 
Um, I think we're there. Uh, you know, we can talk about the injuries all we want to, but I still think our team is 15-3 and three and, and a pretty good basketball team that I do believe is still not peaking. And if we continue to stay the course, which has been a word and a phrase that I have used really all year long, ever since we you know, we started the season and I knew that we weren't necessarily at that moment where we needed to be, as long as our team continues to stay the course and, and works every day in practice and continues to improve, the best is yet to come for this season and for this team. And I think that kind of is the way you have to look at managing a program like Texas. I mean, you can't ever get to a point where you think, oh, well, I don't have to work today <laughs> and I don't have to recruit today and I don't have to show up today. I mean, that's just part of being at Texas is that you have to show up and you know, roll your sleeves up and go to work and um, continue to strive to be the best. I mean, it doesn't ever change here. When recruiting is the lifeline of college athletics, talent is to talent is, you know, is what, you know, the price of admission for all sports at any level. But what is the secret you're, I know I'm, this is almost, I didn't mean it to be a softball, but what is the secret for your success? You've been a tremendous recruiter. You have great recruiting classes. What is the secret or what is your formula for recruiting? Um, I, I think that, first of all, I, I have to say that the University of Texas is a, an amazing place and it's an easy sell because it is such an amazing university. And when you add the fact that the city of Austin mm -hmm. is so spectacular, um, when you add the academic reputation along with the city, along with um, the most amazing athletic department in the country, then it becomes a pretty sell, a pretty good sell when you go in home. Sure. Um, Aside from that, which I think is huge, past <laughs> the fact that those things are pretty good sells, um, especially for young women. I mean, let's face it; most young women want a degree, and if you are, if you are a Texan, and you grew up a Texan, which again, all of our players aren't Texans, but you know, you kind of have to start in the state of Texas if you're at the University of Texas, and and girls basketball is to me. Um, at the highest level in the high school ranks in Texas. So that's where you begin with your recruiting. I mean, if you're a Texan, then everybody in your family knows the value of the degree at the University of Texas. And for young women, I think that still has to be in the forefront. I mean, they're not making enough money professionally right. for a degree not to matter. And it's, I've said it all along. I mean, if, if you are going to get a degree in the state of Texas and really almost nationally, there's not a better public institution in the country. So that becomes part of a, a big sell for us. I mean, you want, you want young women that want to get a degree and then it kind of trickles down to what are the intangibles after that. And, you know, I think we do have great fans. Uh, that's an easy sell. I think our network is a huge sell. I mean, that's when you start to branch out to other places besides Texas where, you know, it's amazing. I mean, our network is amazing. I mean, there's some people that say, you know, they ask me all the time, do you like the network? I mean, is it a positive or a negative? And I, I mean, I, I don't even know how you even have that conversation about it being a negative when your school has its own network mm -hmm. and, 
and it's run by ESPN and the quality of the of the content is so spectacular. Um, you know, so for example, we signed a young lady from New York this year that it makes it a lot easier for her to come here knowing that her parents are going to see every game she plays. So I think those are all the positives that make our recruiting jobs a little bit easier. But I will say that something I learned very, very as a very young coach that I still tell um, any young coach that I have a conversation with that asks me about recruiting and why have you had success your whole career? The, the really simple answer is work. Yeah. I don't think you can get around it. I, I think that if you're going head to head with whatever your competition is, then the work that you put into it to build the relationship with the people that surround that student athlete or their family, the the kid in general, um, that sort of becomes the separator a lot of times. And to be honest with you, what I'm learning is that if it isn't the separator, separator I'm not sure that it's going to work anyway. So those are things – one thing I've learned along the way is that you can never stop learning. Amen. Um, sounds pretty simple, but – if you ever get to a point where you're through learning about what's important uh, in this business, then it's probably about time to hang it up. You know, I was having a conversation with a coach last night and, uh, and the discussion got to this point and I said, you know, coach Wooden had a great, great line and it was, it's what you learn after you think you know it all. That's going to make you a better coach, parent, teacher, whatever in life. You know, because so many coaches, when I'll say something, to, I say, you know, and I try to explain a, a play to them, a drill, a philosophy. No, I, I we do it a different way. N you know, be open to learning, be open to growing, right. continuous learning. I know so much more about coaching that I don't even have a team now. I'm, so, I wish I had a team because I'd be such a better coach now than I was when I was winning world championships. And and that's just the way I feel because my life now is is listening to other people, mm -hmm. and and talking to them and probing, and boy, you know what a different way to learn. I love the women's game. I let me tell you, I'm in so embarrassed for the men's college game for this standpoint. And Shaka Smart has been a friend of mine since he was a baby. Uh, but Shaka, you know, but here's why I'm embarrassed. We're the only men's basketball, college basketball is the only league in the world that doesn't play four quarters. Right. The only league. I, they, they just embarrass me. And, you know, talk about how that, the influence that has had first on the, on the women's game in the last few years. I think it's funny that you say that because I, I had a speaking yesterday back in Arkansas and I had that question asked of me and, and I have to say that I think it's been one of the most positive moves that, that we've made in the women's game. Um, first of all, just again, the logic behind playing four quarters in high school and then not playing it and then playing it professionally doesn't make any sense. Um, right. So I think that first of all, the, tr you know, the transition for the high school players and then in particular for the college players to go to the WNBA or, you sure. know, overseas to learn the dynamics of, of the four quarters and 
you know, just the simple things of advancing the ball and all of that. It would, has that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Um, it's, and, and then I think just the fluidity of going from one level to the next has to be easier. I mean, I, you know, I haven't in particularly asked any of the college players once they get to the pros the last couple of years, Hey, you know, did you find that easier? But I have to think that it is. Don't you feel Karen from a strategic, again, I watch a lot of women's games. Don't you? I think now the way you approach each quarter strategically is different as opposed to just a 20 minute running half. The way you, you know, you're now saying, okay, now I got to go for the last shot of the quarter. Now right. I can maybe go two for one at, at the end of a quarter or however you want to approach it, you know. And oh, it's so funny that you say that because we we have a um, point guard that's sort of just taken over the reins this year. She was a backup to Brooke McCarty for the last couple of years. And uh-huh. uh, her name is Shook Sutton, and she is a tremendous point guard. But her management this year, as opposed to last year when she was in the game, you know, sometimes she would take over the point guard responsibilities in the second quarter. Brooke would come out and what I didn't realize was, or towards the end of the first, what I didn't realize is that that is a process for these young kids that come into college and learn, you know, because if they didn't learn it in high school, sometimes they learn it in high school, but sometimes they don't. Um, so I think just the management for the players in general, I mean, they get better and better as we've moved, you know, into the, now we're into several years into the four quarters. You can see the difference in how they're learning to manage the game as opposed to when we first started it. I think also we talked about advancing the ball. I was embarrassed the other day, and this is my thing where the purists that say in men's basketball, Advancing the ball, oh, that's awful. That like like you know, like we're gonna do something that's gonna tarnish our world, right? And you know, but we watch an NBA game and you know, each team is advancing the ball three times in the last two minutes of a game. Uh right. you know, and you see some of the best plays you've ever seen in basketball, some great strategic out of bounds mm-hmm. plays and great coaching. And I watched a Hall of Fame coach last Saturday, men's coach, and I watched him have two and a half seconds and have to go full court. Right. And they threw the ball out of bounds. And this is a Hall of Fame coach, and he looked like a dumbass, frankly. But it wasn't his fault. Same thing happened to our men last Monday on Big Monday. Yes, exactly. You know, we we had the ball against Kansas at Kansas, and it would have been a completely different dynamic had they been able to advance the ball. Uh, I used that as an example yesterday. I said I was sitting there thinking during that game, it's too bad they can't advance. Yes. And it has made it. I mean, it's made it more interesting. And it, if For the fans. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For the absolutely. And all you have to do is look at our last two Final Fours. Yes. <laughs> and look at the dynamic plays um, that really – I mean, if you can argue that the women's Final Fours the last few years have been way more interesting than the men's. Way um, way so better than the men's. Game. I think it makes it more inter- entertaining yeah. for the fans. I think that, um, you know, just to get into the logistics of even like marketing, uh, in particular for women's basketball, there's more opportunities to do some fan-friendly events and in between the quarters and just, I mean, that's that's beyond, you know, X's and O's and all of that, but it's part of the game. It's part of fan entertainment, and right now we're in an entertainment business where, you know, you're 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 competing 
you just, know, for fans. Yeah. And, and I, and that, and, you know, and it, you know, it's the old saying, I think the men's college game, and trust me, I was, my, my last stint was at LSU. So I'm not, that I'm anti-college coaching it. Not, it's, it's about basketball. It's not, is that the game is not for me, the coach, the men's college game. It's about the coach. In my opinion, the game's supposed to be about the kids. And, right. and, and so, you know, like, we couldn't get the men to go from 35 seconds to 30 seconds. You would have thought we were asking them to give us one of their kids for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, we're the only leagues in the world that don't play with a 24 second clock. You know, when you recruit overseas, you know, they're all using 24 second clock and boy, and you say, well, women could never play. No, the women play with 24 second clock. The high school kids play with a 24 second clock. And as Jay Bill has said to me once, uh, what I thought was the best thing, he says it teaches players to make quick decisions, and that's mm -hmm. what basketball is about: good decisions, right. quick decisions, right. and make them think and stuff like that. And trust me, I mean, as I say, when I go to China, if I go to anywhere in the Middle East, uh, I go to Africa, go to Australia, they're all playing with that, and it's wonderful, you know. So mm -hmm. maybe the men will come around. I don't know; they're a little slow. You know, Karen, I don't know about these guys. I'm not going to call them. <laughs> I don't know about these guys. But, hey, if you could, if you could, <laughs> you know, Bob Bob Starkey, my dear friend, uh, women's associate head coach at Texas A&M, he has a great saying. He says, coaching is coaching. Men, women, it doesn't matter. Becky Hammond, dear friend from the San Antonio Spurs, she's, a, you know, do you think we're going to see – I know our men have invaded the women's college game and, you know, in the WNBA and that's, that's fine. Okay. But oh, do you think we're going to see women coaching the men's side of college or uh, NBA? I would probably say that if I had to guess what will happen first, it would be the NBA. I think so too. Uh, I think that that barrier could get shattered uh, before the college game. I mm -hmm. don't know. Um, I, I do think that we will get to a place where women are being considered as coaches in the men's game, in the college game. Um, I, I think that will be a step that will be taken at some point. Um, and when you think about it, I'm, I'm, I don't know why it hasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, do you mean as an assistant or associate head yes. coach? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 think I, that is I would probably, have one on my staff in a heartbeat. Yeah, because... it, it won't surprise me at all if that does not start happening. I mean, for for multiple reasons. I mean, you know, players have kids have changed. Amen. And, yeah. Um, you know, having, I mean, there's a reason why we have diversity on our staff. Exactly. As women's basketball coaches, um, it is a positive. Um, mm -hmm. Just as we said, we coach kids differently. They react to people differently, and they they've had different circles of influence. And I would say the same thing about men. So I'm not sure why that hasn't that barrier hasn't been broken, but I think it will be. Um, and then I, I think that because it already has been done in the NBA, the inevitable step is for someone to become a head coach. Um, but I think the NBA is their thought processes are a little ahead of us. And, you know, someone will break that down in in the college game. So, you know, it takes a pop uh to have, you know, the fortitude to notice, you know, what 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 a female is doing and that there's not any difference in basketball. Um uh, and 
recognizing someone's talent like he did Becky's. And yeah. I, I think that will, that will happen. I, I, I had the pleasure when I was uh, coaching and running the Knicks that uh, Becky was playing for the Liberty. And so we became dear friends and, uh, and she would always come over to Isaiah Thomas and myself and we would talk basketball for hours and she was brilliant. And, you know, and I think that's what she did with pop, you know, and then she's just, but, you know, going back to the men's side of having a woman's coach, who has raised a lot of the male college players, grandma or mom, <laughs> right? No father sometimes, you're, you're a lot of single right. parent homes. You're probably right. I, right. You know, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there, so, there's a lot of. And trust me, there's a lot of uh, resentment to a male yelling at another male at that age. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and now all of a sudden, if you had someone on your staff that really knows how to talk to them, they, I guarantee you would be listening. So you and I solved a huge problem today. I love that. If you were to, uh, what would you like to see happen in a woman's game in the next few years, looking down the road? If you could, if you, if you were the head of women's basketball at the college level, what, is there any cool. rule changes that you would like or anything like that? Um, I think there's been some really positive things done um, in the last few years. I think that the recognition of too much, you know, too much summer basketball mm -hmm. may have been good for, I mean, for a multitude of reasons. I mean, this, the, the athletes are playing too many games um, overtraining a bit. And then I, I think that, you know, maybe even a little bit of burnout, but I think that the balance of saying, okay, we're not going to take it completely away from them uh, has been good. Um, it remains to be seen. We've got a little bit of a different calendar this year where we've got a couple of events spread out in, in April and May, and I'll be interested to see if that's a positive. Um, I think the so-called dead period uh, we gave, we had a week um, where a week in May where, there's no contact with anyone. Um, I think some of those things are good for not only the college coaches to say, okay, you know, I, I don't know that just picking one week is the right answer, you know, because we all don't have the same calendar. So I think um, that was a start, but I think not only is it helpful for the college coaches, but I think, it's helpful for the student athletes just to get a break, you know, from all <laughs> yeah. of us. Yeah. Um, because I don't think sometimes we understand the, you know, how they're being bombarded on a daily basis. We just think about what's happening for us, you know? And so I think that there's been some real positive moves made towards um, managing the recruiting calendar. Yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, I mean, they're opening up all kinds of opportunities to go overseas. I don't know if that's going to be good or bad that we can go anytime. You know, it seems like now we can kind of be out a lot and, and go overseas um, a little bit more. So I, that kind of, I, I think all of that remains to be seen, but I do think that they're trying to make some positive steps in that direction. I think the, the thing that I'll be interested in as we move along is what do we do about the attendance at the regionals? And I'm not one to, completely speak on that uh, but I think that is being looked at I think the final fours have been 
absolutely tremendous. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. I was at last year's in Columbus. Dallas was was fantastic. Last year was fantastic. And I think that the concerted effort to market the Funnel 4, I think moving it to Friday, Sunday was a huge move. Um, I think it enabled more fans and more college coaches to stick around uh, instead of, you know, having to kind of drag it out a little bit longer. I think that was a tremendous move. I think it was great for our sport, Mm -hmm. but I think we're still at that point where we, what do we do with the regionals to get more attendance? So those are things that I'm sure are being looked at. Um, I don't necessarily have an opinion. I don't have an answer, but I think it is something that we have to look at. What's the thing that when you, when you're recruiting players, I, I know talent is the price of admission, the starting point, but when you're looking, you and your staff are looking at players or, or other coaches, and what are the things that you're really looking for in a player, both from a skill standpoint and then from a personal standpoint? Um, I think for me, that I think you you can't get away from is you know what is their what is their relationship with winning? Hmm. Um, you know, have they have they won in their lifetime? Uh, was it important to them? Because I think one thing that becomes a common denominator with teams that I've been on that have won championships is that when you look at those individuals, they won something when they were young. You know, they they understand that the price you pay to win a championship. And I think if you can gather more individuals that know how to do that, it becomes an easier job in college to – not have to teach that part because there is a price you pay. Um, there's a, there's a, an edge you have, there's a go beyond what other people want to do, uh, to get to that championship level. And so I think if you have an, they have an understanding of that, it's, it's helpful. Um, for me personally, I like players that have motors. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I like players that play hard and, uh, for lack of better words, have some wheels on them and a competitive spirit about them. Um, I think the more players you have that are in your in my program, for sure, that can get up and down and value defense and have some motor about them, it's an easier process for them in practice for me. Um, and then I think the last piece, and this this only really has to relate to me being at the University of Texas, is that as an individual, they have to care about academics. Uh, it has to be a factor for them or it's very hard here. Um, it's a process that becomes a little overwhelming for them at the University of Texas if they don't really value the education and it's not a, a factor into why they chose Texas. So I think that when you start to put all those pieces together, then that becomes the student athlete that I'm looking for at Texas. That is that is phenomenal. No, I, I love that, Karen. And, you know, I, all I can say is that uh, Chris Del Conte and the University of Texas, but most importantly, your players are very lucky that you're their head coach. This has been phenomenal for me and for all the people that get to listen to Coaching You each week. I think this is fantastic, and I really appreciate you doing that for us. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and we'll, we'll let's talk more about um... – Getting more women involved. Well, you know, I, I love the women's game, and I think, you know, we, you know, and, and I want them to be such a big part of 
uh, investing in their own careers to learn and stuff and be part of it because uh, it, it's so, so important to the players that they're coaching, and, and you're a great example of it. But, Karen, thank you so much again. Thank you. You have a good day. Hook them horns. <laughs> Karen, thanks so much. Uh, I, I I thought, you know, when we, we were going to do this, uh, I had several friends, including Shaka Smart, the head coach, University of Texas, rave about Karen. And wow, uh, you can see why young women want to go to that incredible university, how she attracts them, how personable she is, what a tremendous coach she is. Uh, again, I can't emphasize enough the importance of I watched WNBA basketball uh, at in August, September, and the things I learned, the way they run and execute plays is amazing. But watching on a night off for you guys that are out there coaching men's basketball, watching a college basketball game, you will you will love the way some of these teams are playing. And I think, you know, you can always learn it. I, ideal thing is continuous learning as a coach in many aspects. I think what Karen did is gave you some tips of how to build and manage a program, how to recruit, the things that are really important. Uh, she is a five-star coach, and I uh, really appreciate Karen Ashton for doing this. So till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Zerf.